way to get you going. Go, go, go. This is VOC Breakfast with Gulam Fakir and Samira Sheikh Yassa, only on the Voice of the Cape. Today, of course, we see many learners returning to uh, to school, and uh, of course, um, you know, our children are excited at the same time, but also they are very oh, much aware of what is happening around them in terms of COVID. They know that when they're going to go back, there are some educators that's not going to be there. But most importantly, also, how do we mentally prepare themselves, you know, to go back into um, an environment on a more full time basis? Although it's going to be alternate uh, days for for some, matric learners are going to be there, um, you know, every single day. A lot of focus is going to be kept on um, the matric learners as well as the grade 7 learners. So I thought we wanted to, uh, to, you know, just to get comments with regards to this. And obviously, like always, we love speaking to Dr. Yusuf Larkin. He was an educational psychologist to just share comments around this. Dr. Assalamu alaikum and shukran so much for joining us on Breakfast 91.3 FM. If you were to look at the readiness with regards to our learners, are our learners mentally ready for what, you know, should be done, you know, to keep them safe? Yes, indeed. I think, um, you know, the issue about mental readiness for starting the new year uh, will vary, I suppose, from home to home, school to school, district to district. But, but generally speaking, I think right now we're talking about two kinds of learners starting the year, those who are returning. Uh, so, so they have had, I suppose, some sense of what the new school uh, protocols are all about in terms of social distancing within classrooms and in the playground, sanitizing and so on. So, so they return into something reasonably familiar. Um, then, of course, the other ones are starting the new year. So they oblivious to the this arrangement, and for them that would probably be the norm, um, you know, going to school for the first time. But as far as readiness is concerned, Gulam, I think it will depend on, on a number of factors. I think mm. the role of parents are critical, um, their level of understanding, their communication with the learner uh, about what's, what's happening, and reassuring them largely about how safe the the admission to school will be. And that brings me to the, the, the relationship, I suppose, between home and school. Because parents will be reassured if schools have reassured them, and schools will be reassured if the district office uh, have reassured them. So there's kind of this interconnection now that I think uh, will have to be strengthened, this collaboration, um, so that so generally speaking, there is a prevailing sense of reassurance mm. that starts at some point and gets carried, that sort of carried through um, and reaches the child um, when they have a sense of you know, going back to school, mm. how safe it is. Mm. But we know, despite all of those measures, we will still be fairly apprehensive. Um, and, you know, it's an ongoing uh, exercise uh, within schools to, um, to make reassurance and, and feeling safe. Uh, sort of high priority. Mm. Salam, Doc. Just in terms of what you're mentioning, you know, this year and, you know, within the COVID context, how important have the orientation days as well as orientation weeks at schools been in terms of, you know, putting to bay any fears that students may have? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the interesting thing is, of course, that a lot of parents have indicated to me at least that the orientation took place without them being present. 
Now, this may not be in the practice at all the schools, um, but I've got this at least from a few parents whose children are starting grade eight. Now, again, you know, the issue about um, where the parents are part of or not part of the orientation is quite critical. And, and I really almost advise schools going forward that if anything for this year, Unlike any other year, there should be increased collaboration between the home and the school in the interest of the child. So, um, yes, the orientations are very important to you know, outline the school's approach in terms of uh, safety, health-wise and otherwise of the learners. It's, it's a good place to give a, a home a vision for the year that they can hold on to and know that the school is following a particular strategy, um, is in, you know, adhering to a particular protocol. That is all, you know, necessary. So increased communication between school and home, I think, should be one of those things that we should be highlighting this year. Doc, also, if I can just, uh, you know, touch on uh, all these learners that are still not placed at schools, um, uh, it's, it's quite significant, mm. you know, it's, it's a huge number, and it seems like this is a recurring problem every year. We've got a situation where there are thousands of learners that, is, that are not placed. I think at this Correct. point, this morning, there are 16,000 that is not placed, you know, in, in, in the country. But speaking to the WCED last week, they mentioned 11,500 that is not placed in the province. So that, that those numbers are, are still very high, Doc. How do we sort of work around that? What are the issues there? Yeah. As you've indicated, uh, Gulam, this is a recurring problem. So year on year, there's this difficulty with placement of learners at schools. So one would have hoped that the Department of Education has worked out a plan to avoid this thing happening. Um, so in, in one sense, it's almost an expected dilemma that we face every year. But on the other hand, it's unacceptable. Um, you know, so clearly it speaks to poor planning on the part of the department in terms of the admission policy. So this year, of course, it's been aggravated. And so the figures vary. I mean, you've mentioned 11,000, 16,000, I've heard 14,000. Yeah. Whatever the number, what we know now is that there are thousands of learners and thousands of families at least mm. who, in addition to everything else, are sitting today not sure about whether their children have been admitted over and above everything else that they uh, stressed about. So clearly a priority for the Department of Education to ensure that every child who should be at school are at school, you know, and I, I think in terms of management, from the district and the provincial level, that should be high priority. Doc, also, you know, we've been seeing a lot of talk about a possible third wave. You know, should that, you know, be the situation and should we find ourselves within that uh, situation once again where we see a peak, where we see a next wave, so to speak? Do you think our students as well as our teachers, you know, are mentally prepared and ready to cope with an, an, a situation like that? Yeah. Quite an interesting thing, I think, in terms of readiness. This is our second wave, you know, so we've had a first wave, we've had a second wave. And I think what that tells us that the level of alertness must never waver. I think our level of readiness must always be at a high level. Um, so there's a, there's a sense of urgency that we should not lapse into complacency about what it is that we are doing. And so, 
you know, this year, for example, I, I attended one school who invited me to come and chat to them. And everything that they wanted to talk about was COVID-related. Um, it was nothing else. It was not curriculum. It was in um, discipline. It was in, um, you know, uh, promotion or learning mm-hmm. disabilities. COVID-19 seems to dominate the conversation in our schools. And I think the Department of Education should be aware of that mm-hmm. and make more effort to attend to the emotional needs, not just of the learners, but also of the staff. Yeah. Um, unless they feel safe, they're going to not be able to attend to their job effectively. And young people, you know, pick up um, a, a teacher who is stressed, a teacher who is anxious, and learning cannot take place in an environment like that. Yeah. So in terms of the third wave, we know now that the the virus will be coming in waves. The period between waves we're not quite sure about, but I would imagine we need to anticipate a third wave and begin to understand that our school environments as organizations is volatile, it's uncertain, it's complex, and practices are ambiguous, as it is for now. And in terms of that kind of environment, the focus of the Department of Education should make sure that in the face of a volatile environment like school, that we maintain a particular vision that everybody can adhere to and everybody can focus on in terms of creating that stability. But they focus on spending more time at the schools to focus not necessarily mainly on curriculum, but look at mental, social, and emotional issues. But they always communicate with with the schools with openness, with clarity, listen to what schools have to say rather than what you think they need. I mean, it's always amazing when I go into a school and they ask me to talk. I say, what do you want me to talk about? Mm. I have some ideas of what I think should be happening. And no school is the same. So the, the, the need to listen to schools, to listen to teachers is going to be quite important. Right. And then, of course, to begin to let people know that we have to be flexible and adaptable to a constantly changing environment and provide schools with that ability. You know, leadership is critical in these times and the leadership should not only come from the top. Leadership is in the classroom, it's in the principal, it's the role of the SGBs, and the, the, the responsibility is to cultivate that particular leadership. Now, Doc, also just one more before we go. Um, you know, from your side, we, we've seen, you know, uh, learners who lost parents, mm. for argument's sake, you know, during uh, due to COVID. They've lost yeah. educators. And I know you've alluded to this earlier as well. But just, you know, for as parents and as educators, you know, well, just very quickly, Doc, I've got a minute or so. You know, what are some of the basic signs that we need to keep our eye out on our learners for, you know, before they, you know, reach the state of depression in children? You know, as, as I mean, an 11-year-old, a 10-year-old is not going to know they're suffering from depression, but as a parent, you know, what is it that we look out for? Yeah. So, so one of the things I've been telling schools uh, where I've had the opportunity to chat to teachers, maintain your learner profile. You know, that has been part of the school environment for a couple of years, and we've been kind of negligent. 
mainly because the Department of Education has not promoted that as a priority. So when a teacher has to balance what do I need to focus on in terms of addressing the needs of the learners, the one message that has come out clearly focus on literacy and numeracy. So they've ignored the learner profile. And I've challenged schools to tell me in your class how well do you know the learners in terms of just their medical comorbidities, for example. How many kids in the class have asthma? How many kids have lost a parent? How many children live with single households? How many, you know, know your children in order to teach them better. And so the focus should not be so much on curriculum provision in terms of methodology and material, but to look at the learner. It's one thing to teach. It's another thing whether the children are actually learning anything. So it's so important that the teachers go back to that profile and keep it updated and become aware. And the department can send the psychologists and the social workers to the school and give each particular teacher, depending on the developmental right. age of a child, a checklist. Mm. And so just as you check for other things, you can check for these particular elements and see how many of your learners are in fact suffering from depression, anxiety, and stress, you know, okay. so that we can know them better and so we can teach them better. Mm. Doc, we're going to have to leave it there. Dr. Yusuf Larkin, educational psychologist. Shukran so much for joining us this morning on Breakfast 91.3 and all of the very best, inshallah. Of course, talking to us um, about uh, mental readiness for our learners uh, that is going back to school this week. Officially, it has been opened. And uh, of course, uh, talking about that, you know, the schools open, uh, reopen amid safety concerns, uh, fears. Of course, yesterday we saw that uh, Minister Anja Mochecha, the department's lack of personal protective equipment, that's PPE for learners, has uh, left parents and teacher unions worried about the safety of children as they return to school today. We wanted to speak to uh, Naptosa, we couldn't get hold of them this morning. But uh, at this point in time, I'd also like to bring in Abdul Karim Matthews from the hashtag Save Our Children uh, to share comment with regards to this. Abdul Karim, assalamu alaikum. Shukran so much for joining us on Breakfast 91.3 FM. We see that there are some concerns with regards to the schools opening up. We also get the fact that we need to get back to the new normal as well. But what's your take on the, on the, pre, uh, on the uh, minister's address yesterday? Well, it's the same old, same old from Minister Angie Mochecha. The, the idea that our kids must return to school is, is something that's beyond me. Um, the idea that we must return back to the new normal, again, we accept the status quo as far as I'm concerned. Um, I said this last time during the first wave, and I'll say it again this time around. I'm a, I'm a student at UCT, and UCT has been closed since the first week of March. Um, last year, and UCT still closed down for face-to-face education. Now, if that age gap, uh, the age bracket of, of people who are at university um, are not in, considered amongst the most vulnerable and at risk groups, why is it we are so interested in sending our school kids back to school, but we're not making the same demand on university students and university lecturers to return back to school? We're also sending our teachers back to school in an environment where we've messed up as a country the first batch of vaccine that was supposed to inoculate um, our, our, our frontline workers. Um, and even according to the state, the teachers are concerned frontline workers, only our healthcare staff. And um, look, it's one thing to talk about the psychological um, damage that um, COVID-19 has um, caused our students. What about our teachers? 
um, 2,000 of them died during the first phase, and we are sending them back into community-level transmission. That's going to start happening from tomorrow. Mm. But I think also a lot of people are concerned, you know, over the fact that, you know, the lack of PPE, and we're going to get uh, Basil to share comment with regards from a union perspective as well. But now, just very quickly, Abdul Karim, what, what would you suggest they then do? Well, one of the things which I should have done was to use uh, the 500 billion rand stimulus package and um, ensure that all working class schools, both in the urban centers and in the rural areas, actually had access to fiber. Mm. Um, that uh, working class students had access to, to, to technology so that if we had to keep our kids at school and do the homeschooling route, that we would have had the technology to be able to do so. Right. Uh, it's a bit too late because, yeah, you know, the money's lost now. Yeah. Abu Karim, we're going to have to leave it there. Shukran for your time this morning on Breakfast 91.3 FM and you go well, inshallah. Well, uh, time now moving on to 26 minutes after the hour of uh, 7 o'clock. I mm-hmm. think, Sabra, at this point in time, what is very, very important is for us to also touch base with Tosa, um, who's a, a union, to also share comment with regards to that. Uh, Basil Manuel from Tosa, he joins us online. Basil, good morning. Good morning. A pleasure to be with you again. Of course, Basil, the last time we had spoken, you know, was prior to schools reopening. And then, of course, schools um, were delayed a bit further until today. We're seeing our students go back to school. At that point in time, we had seen, you know, quite a few concerns with regards to schools um, as well as PPE, etc. At this point in time, you know, how does Naptosa feel, you know, our schools are doing in terms of the state of readiness at this point? Uh, Thanks for the question. At first, let me say that... um if whatever the minister had said yesterday all comes to fruition, mm. we will be the happiest group of people around okay. because these are the problems we've been pointing out. However, given the sheer size of the education department, it is hardly uh, uh, possible that everything could have fallen into place so beautifully and 100% of our schools are ready. Certain provinces have done much better than others, but certain provinces remain a concern. And we are still worried about uh, the health and safety of our members and, of course, the learners. We are still worried about the supply of teachers. We are still worried about the uh, sustainability of intervention measures. And, uh, of course, not to mention, not to even forget uh, about the psychosocial health of our, of our teachers, our psychological health. Those are the, the issues we are still worried about. We've heard the minister's address. We know that she is reporting on reports that she has received, but we are doubtful that every province has reported, in fact, completely factually. Our own survey, which ended on the 9th of, of February, still pointed to gaps in about 25% of our schools. Now, let me not say that 25% weren't ready. Let me add that they said that they weren't completely ready. And we acknowledge that between then and now, a lot could happen in terms of supplying stuff, etc. But when you heard that the Eastern Cape had indicated that it will not, it does not have money for these supplies and that uh, schools must do their own thing and take and use the money from the norms and standards mm-hmm. without giving them an extra top-up like some other provinces have done, that means that there are going to be gaps because some schools just don't have the money. So, yes, we are, we are happy uh, that we've reached the first day. We are happy that a lot has happened positively, but we are still concerned, and we'd like to be proven wrong. Make no mistake about it. We don't want to be proven correct. We want to be proven wrong that we were worried unnecessarily. Then 
that's cause for celebration. Now, Basil, we also know that COVID, you know, has exacerbated the, the challenges that we already find ourselves having at the start of this academic year every single year. You know, the non-placement of certain uh, learners as well as, um, you know, registration fees, etc. There's a lot that has come about over the past few days, you know. Um, will NAPTOSA be addressing this further with their teachers as well as schools in terms of, you know, registration, non-placement, etc.? Absolutely. In uh, late yesterday afternoon, I was talking to a number of schools just to check what things are like. And there are some horrifying stories there. A school in Mpumalanga, primary school with 2,400 children. 2,400. You didn't miss Yemi. And there are still parents knocking on the door looking for place uh, for, uh, for, for, for children in the primary schools. So there is a real crisis. I do have sympathy with some sectors of, of the department because we know that uh, placement of learners is what the department wants to do. Quite honestly, there's no education department that doesn't want to place the learners. But we also know that in migration doesn't happen where you want it to happen. It happens where people can find jobs, etc. And this is an age-old problem that has been dogging us for the last decade. But we will press on and we've got to ensure that every child gets placed. We can't have the scenario that we had last year in parts of the mm. Western Cape mm. where there were children out of school still by the end of the first term. The Western Cape has done exceedingly well compared to some of the other provinces, and let's acknowledge that. But we do want every child to be placed. Gauteng claims only to have 2,000 not placed, and we certainly hope that that is completely factual, and we want to see that before the end of this week they are in school. Mm. It's a terrible thing for a child on the first day not to be one of those going to school. Mm. Basil, we have 30 seconds, and I want to know, Department of Education, in terms of infrastructure-wise, how do you think they are doing in terms of facilitating the fact that we need more schools. They're doing poorly, uh, primarily because a lot of the money from uh, in the infrastructure budget was diverted to COVID-19. And I'm sure that that could not be avoided because nobody planned, nobody budgeted uh, for COVID-19 in this last financial year. So uh, we've got to think differently. And maybe it is a stimulus package that we need to sort out the backlogs that have been lingering since uh, we've had the uh, democracy dawn. Well, Basil Manuel, thank you so much for that brief update this morning. Naptosa's Executive Director, Basil Manuel, speaking to us at the start of the 2021 academic school year.